This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Friday Night Comedy Podcast, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Young Turks, The Colbert Report, Ring of Fire, Media Matters, Countdown with Keith Olbermann, The Onion Radio News, The Jimmy Dore Show, and Radio EcoShock with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from 350.org. Cold out, innit? While we're all buried in snow and ice and the British countryside looks like Kerry Katona sneezed over it, <laughs> I thought now would be the perfect time to talk about global warming. Could there be a better time? To quote the big-boned ballroom bigot Anne Widdicombe, There is no climate change. Hasn't anybody looked out of their window recently? Yes, she says she doesn't remember saying that, but I suppose that's a symptom of talking out of your backside. <laughs> this is the problem. It's the COP16 climate talks right now in Cancun in Mexico, and the subject is yesterday's news. It's about as relevant to most Western governments and news organisations as brown people dying in a country with no oil. The trouble with the COP16 conference is there are so many nations seeking consensus. They're all trying to make sure that it's fair. It's very much like when you go for a curry with too many people and then when the bill comes at the end, it's always the same. Um, I, I, I didn't have a proper dog. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't have a starter. Uh, I shared my rice with Steve. Uh, what should we do, guys? Should we all pay for our own? No, because no, 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 I'm vegetarian and so the meat courses are more expensive. Shut up! It's always the big fat knacker at the end of the table who had starters, poppadoms and pickles, a main, special rice, two sides and a Non bread who says, Well, why don't we just split it between us all? <laughs> and that is pretty much the sticking point of the talks in Mexico. That and the fact that so many smaller nations are under the control of powerful manipulators from the big carbon economies. The US has lost its grip entirely now that the Republicans have control of Washington. By the way, could anyone else hear this when the midterm election day came around? 53% of all Republicans don't believe climate change is happening at all. 53% of them have convinced themselves that over 95% of climate scientists are wrong. Uh, they've convinced themselves of these facts by placing their fingers in their ears and going, la, 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 not listening to anybody. One of them, who sits on the Congress Energy Committee, Congressman John Shimkus, began his contribution to the House Energy Debate by reading from Genesis 8, verses 21 and 22. Congressman Shimkus went on. The earth will end only when God declares it's time to be over. Man will not destroy this earth. This earth will not be destroyed by a flood. God's word is infallible, unchanging, perfect. Oh, man, we're screwed. <laughs> this stuff is too important to let idiots dictate what's to be done about it. The Daily Express did it again this week. The front cover of their newspaper. A picture of a car covered in snow and the headline... Global warming, if only... Right, now, listen, right? And this goes for the Conservative MEP Roger Helmer, representing our Conservative government in Europe, who tweeted this morning... As one harsh winter follows another, it becomes ever harder to believe in the great climate scam. The weather where you live is not the global climate. If you're hard of thinking, get a pen and write it down. The temperature is not the same the world over. <laughs> the rabid anti-EU loon, Helmer, said... I know that weather isn't climate. Yes, but do you? Yes, a British geography teacher told me. <laughs> if you really know that, then why do you find it hard to understand that the rest of that sentence, where you said it's hard to believe, is erroneous, irresponsible and thick? 
Part of the problem is that people like this treat scientific data like a pick and mix where they can just leave out the bits they don't like. Yuck, temperature toffee, yucky. Oh, yummy, half a fact. Mmm. <laughs> They ignore the average, which shows a steady, dangerous and unprecedented rise in temperature, and thereby prove that temperatures are falling around the world. This is the scientific equivalent of standing at a station and seeing a six-foot man come through the barrier, then, 20 minutes later, having ignored all other passengers, seeing a midget come through the same gate and concluding that people are shrinking so fast, <laughs> we'll be one inch tall by the end of the day. <laughs> Grow up! I compared last year's failed COP15 in Denmark to a Dr. Seuss poem. The lack of progress seemed repetitive and childish. This year's UN conference isn't nearly as much fun as the Pratt in the Hat. Uh, it has set its expectations very low. COP16 isn't Dr. Seuss anymore. No, this one's more like Wilfred Owen's tragic World War I poem, Dulce et Decorum Est. Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling. Yeah, we know it's gas, greenhouse gas. But who's willing to commit to cuts? No? No one? And there it is, the ecstasy of fumbling as everyone reaches for the briefing notes explaining how it's not their fault and the Senate won't let them do cap and trade anyway. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea I saw him drowning. Yeah, that'll be the delegate from the Maldives. Ignore him, he'll go away. <laughs> My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie dulce e decorum est pro 4x4 and plasma screen mori. Thank you. As the winter winds litter London with lonely hearts, oh, the warmth in your eyes swept me into your arms. Was it love or fear of the cold that led us through the night? For every kiss, your beauty trumped my doubt. And my hand told my There's one thing everyone can agree on in Washington these days, it's the importance of grandchildren. We don't want to be the first generation that leaves fewer opportunities for our children and grandchildren than we inherited from our parents. We're worried about our children and our grandchildren, and we can't keep on going like we are. We are concerned about passing that debt on to our kids and our grandkids. We simply can't continue to mortgage the future of our unborn children and grandchildren. People don't want to have uh, carry put this huge debt on their children or their grandchildren's shoulders. Trillions of dollars of more debt loaded on our children and grandchildren. The, the debt burden on, on children. Children, our children and grandchildren. A mountain range of debt we're piling on our children and grandchildren. The as yet unborn grandchildren of America are perhaps the best represented political group in this great nation of ours, at least rhetorically. So it's a little funny, given our great concern about America's grandchildren and the world they will inherit, that while all this grandchildren rhetoric is buzzing around the Capitol, particularly boisterous and vociferous, as you just saw on the Republican side of the aisle, that the entire House GOP leadership team would have signed onto an Americans for Prosperity No Climate Tax Pledge, according to the blog for the group Americans for Prosperity. More than 525 elected officials have now signed onto this pledge to oppose, well, apparently any sort of climate tax. What that means in practice is this. We're not even going to try to stop the planet from warming. 
we don't even care if we give our grandchildren a hotter planet. A planet with far more unpredictable and disastrous weather events, a planet with droughts and higher sea levels, a planet with global unrest and refugees and resource wars across the globe. All of these things, future grandchildren of America, we give to you. Look, I've, I've been sitting in Washington watching this hysteria over long-run actuarial projections about the deficit with my mouth agape. There is a problem down the road with, for example, the ballooning cost of health care in this country, and we're going to have to deal with it. We already tried to a little bit with the, the health care reform bill. There's no question about that. But when you're talking about problems that involve moving money around, cutting taxes, increasing spending, those are difficult problems. But from one day to the next, you can solve those problems. You can put money into an account. You can fix money problems. It's been done before. A balanced budget deal was struck during the Clinton presidency. When Social Security was in crisis during the Reagan years, a deal was struck to save it. These things have been done before. Disaster has been averted. Physics is another thing entirely. You can't just wake up one day, survey the U.S., see that we can no longer grow corn in Iowa because the summers are too hot there, and just vacuum the carbon out of the air. So if you want to talk about grandchildren, check it out. Right now, the leaders of one party have completely abrogated their moral responsibility to future generations at the same time they're beating their chests with grand and martyred nobility about all they're doing for their grandchildren. stories of the day. Uh, it's uh, Fox News Channel. These clowns over there uh, believe that they have uh, found that global warming does not work and is not real, I should say, because uh, it snowed in Britain. They're going to bring on the one clown meteorologist that they could find uh, who claims to be a scientist. I watched the whole segment. <laughs> Nothing he said sounded vaguely scientific. You'll be able to judge for yourself in the opening clip here. They're going to be talking to Piers Corbin. Let's check it out. Our next guest told, said he, he can clearly say, I told you so. Back in November, the UK's government weather forecasting office claimed that this winter would be mild. That's the same office pushing a global warming agenda. But here's the forecast for this winter, as predicted in November by astrophysicist and meteorologist Piers Corbin. Take a listen. The winter, December to February, inclusive in Britain and Europe, will be exceptionally cold and snowy, like hell frozen over at times. <laughs> he was right. It feels like that outside right now. You're looking at video of an extremely snowy Britain from this week. So much for global warming. He says prepare for the ice age. Piers Corbin joins us now. Piers, how did you pull this off? How did you manage to be so accurate when everyone else in that office was saying, uh-uh, it's not going to happen? How did you manage to be so accurate? <laughs> and this guy's scientific explanation was, it's going to be so cold that hell frozen over. <laughs> Listen, you clowns, you can't argue with data just because it snowed one day doesn't mean that the temperature of Britain or the world is somehow different 
throughout the year. The temperature in the year is not related to any one snowstorm or how cold it is. There are fluctuations, but what they see when they look at the data overall is that the planet keeps warming every single year. I mean, is your counter data? Well, on the other hand, we just had a snowstorm in Britain. Okay, even if the whole winter was colder in Britain than they expected for this winter, it doesn't mean anything. In the end, if you have a, a, a trend that shows that the whole year was colder and then the next year is colder, all right, then we're having a conversation that's different data. But the year is warmer. Everybody knows that. Well, like, here's Corbin with the green hair. <laughs> Predicted a snowstorm. To give you a sense of how clownish this guy is, I, this isn't important, but I just enjoyed the end of the interview when they asked him for his Twitter account. Look at how he struggles with this. Watch. Uh, beyond that, I want to get your Twitter address because I'm going to start following on Twitter so I can predict when I need to get out the snow moves. What's your Twitter address, Pierce? Uh, Twitter address is um, <laughs> HTTP, etc. Twitter.com forward slash Piers underscore Corbin. It's uh, as on this if you can see that. There you go. That's the one. Yeah. Dude, that's your name. <laughs> you had to look up your name. By the way, that's the same piece of paper that earlier in the interview that he was putting up every once in a while. And you know, I predicted that there would be snow in the winter. It's right here. <laughs> Look, and you get a sense of Fox's agenda. Did they tell you the overall temperature for the year? Did they tell you the overall temperature for the for the whole winter, for the year, for Britain or anywhere else? No, of course. They don't want to give you the facts. They want to pretend that there's no global warming by bringing on clowns like this so they can keep making money for the oil companies who are part of the reason we have the global warming, but they definitely don't want you to know that and because they don't want you to take any action because that would cost them their bottom line. The House of Representatives changing hands mean more than just the Democrats giving the Republicans the keys and explaining which remote works the TV and which shuts down the government. It means all the House committees get new Republican chairmen, and I cannot wait. It'll be like Christmas morning, except every president is an old white guy. And with all the new vacancies, it's time for the latest installment of my long-running series, Stephen Colbert's Chair Apparent. Tonight, tonight, the battle to chair the Energy and Commerce Committee. Now, the posers out there can talk about your Upton and your Stearns. Well, this thing comes down to a slugfest between two great conservatives, Joe Barton of Texas and John Shimkus of Illinois. Barton looks strong to me. He's the House's leading expert on energy, and by expert, I always mean the guy who gets the most cash from the oil industry. 
And that, that kind of expertise led Barton to stand up to British Petroleum on his own two knees. It is a tragedy of the first proportion that a private corporation can be subjected to what I would characterize as a shakedown. I apologize. Yes. He blew smoke up Tony Hayward's ass. But I believe that's how he became an expert on wind energy. Listen. Listen to his analysis of this so-called renewable source. Wind is God's way of balancing heat. Wind is the way you shift heat from areas where it's hotter to areas where it's cooler. That's what wind is. Wouldn't it be ironic if in the interest of global warming we mandated massive switches to energy, which is a finite resource, which slows the winds down, which causes the temperatures to go up? That is right. He's right, wind turbines will make the wind slow down. It's just like when you put your hand out the car window, the car stops. That's called science. And science is something Barton understands well because he baffled Nobel Prize winning energy secretary Stephen Chu. I have one simple question for you in the last six seconds. How did all the oil and gas get to Alaska and under the Arctic Ocean? <laughs> this, is, this is a complicated story. There's continental plates that have been drifting around uh, throughout the geological ages. And so it just drifted up there. Yeah, Chu. Yeah, Chu, really. It just drifted up there. As if the continents were rafts of rock floating on a molten core, which also explains all volcanic activity and earthquakes. Right. <laughs> Isn't, isn't the simpler explanation that during the missing 18 years of Jesus' life that aren't in the Bible, he went up to Alaska and gave it a delicious fudgy center? So, clearly Joe Barton would be the perfect man for the job were it not for Illinois' John Shimkus. Who knows, we don't need to worry about global warming because God promised Noah he wouldn't flood the world again. And if a guy stuck on a boat with thousands of animals didn't complain about methane emissions, why should we? <laughs> Congressman. That guy looks really familiar. <laughs> Congressman Shimkus, testify. I want to start with um, Genesis 8. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. I believe that's the infallible word of God, and that's the way it's going to be for his creation. Exactly. <laughs> the Bible should be our guide for any crisis. That's why whenever I see a mugging victim lying in a ditch, I know the best medical treatment is to wait for someone from Samaria to help him. Point is, mankind cannot destroy the earth. The book of the Revelation clearly lays out exactly what will happen when the earth ends. And it never mentions environmental disaster. It just says, the trees and grass will burn, a third of the creatures in the sea will die, the waters will turn bitter, and smoke will rise from the abyss like the smoke from a gigantic furnace darkening the sun. Nothing about cap and trade in there. That is why... 
Representative Shimkus is getting the Colbert bump. Sir, you're in going to be in charge. And when you do get your chairmanship, please invite me to all your hearings. Because I would love to testify again as long as I can bring my lawyer. I have no consideration. Zero mutual respect for billions who suffer from rational thought neglect. I don't want to waste a sentence. I don't want a conversation that's going to end in disdain, disbelief, and aggravation. And I find it's getting harder to hang out with grown adults who actually You're just back from Europe, where apparently uh, it is true that there is no climate change because, of course, Europe hasn't been experiencing anything out of the ordinary. I've got to ask you this question. How do they look at the way we deal with climate issues in the United States? Well, even the kind of right-wing people in Europe, and I spent a lot of time with engineers in, in Holland and with kind of conservative politicians in Great Britain, and they all think it's insane. I mean, everybody, they have not been brainwashed as we have in this country by a $200 million campaign paid for by the Koch brothers, by Exxon, by Chevron, and a number of other big members of the Club of Carbon Cronies over the past 20 years to brainwash the American public about global warming. And, you know, we've been plagued also by an indolent and negligent press who which has zero interest in informing the american public and its only interest is in entertaining us and and getting advertising revenue of appealing to the purring interest that all of us have in the reptilian cores of our brains for sex and celebrity gossip in britain they still have real news on tv they have the bbc they have all of the cnn was a completely different show in europe our country we're now the the best entertained and least informed people on the face of the earth. In Europe, they're still very well informed, and people understand this is an issue. It's a grim reality that government has to take a firm hand in addressing, and there's no politician who could survive in Europe as a global warming denier. Meanwhile, as you see from this week in our environmental news, John McCain has become a global warming denier. This is one of the few Republicans who, for years, has said that global warming was an absolute, undeniable reality, and he ridiculed the global warming deniers within his own party this week. He has officially, because of the pressure of the Tea Party, he's officially joined the ranks of the global warming deniers. And you have he's all the senators who are currently running now and all of the Republican congressmen, every Republican candidate for the Senate, every Republican candidate for the Congress is now officially a global warming denier. And the Republicans are vowing revenge on global warming. You know, there's a, a Republican, Jim Sensenbrenner, who will become, if the Republicans take over the Congress, he'll become the head of the Select Committee on Energy Independence and Global Warming. He has vowed to take that committee and turn its efforts towards investigating 
what some Republicans still call the scandal of global climate scientists in Great Britain that happened two years ago that was disclosed by the emails two years ago. And, and it was completely it, invented. And it's been completely disposed of by six different independent investigations in Great Britain that this has no impact on the science. But still, these are people who, who don't believe evolution exists, who don't believe in science, who don't believe in enlightenment, who believe, you know, who are essentially want to take our country not just back past the New Deal when they think we really went wrong, but back into the Middle Ages. You know, when the church was saying that they had to execute Copernicus for saying that the earth revolves around the sun. Science at its best is supposed to be a search for truth as are all the major professions. But, you know, they're saying that science is illegitimate, that all knowledge is objective. Obviously, industry, the industries that fund the Republican Party are against this kind of science that might cost them money, and these guys are sock puppets for that industry. And, Bobby, you've talked about how these people who embrace their faith and use it to deride science, to say that science and faith can't coexist. You're a person of deep faith, known each other a long time, and I know that your belief in science has never compromised your faith. How is it that they've managed to conflate these two things and say that you cannot be a good Christian if you don't reject science, you don't reject evolution, you don't reject climate science? Well, you know, it's interesting that the, the Catholic Church kind of got burned during the Copernican era by that debate. And so when the evolution issue came up in the 1860s and 1870s and 1880s in our country, they did not jump on the side of the Scopes trial. They stayed on the sideline. And when I was growing up in the Catholic Church, we were taught that the Bible was not scientific truth, that there was a distinction. It was not history. It was metaphor. It was poetry. It was. It taught us about greater truths about ourselves. The nuns at Our Lady of Victory School used to say, no, God didn't create the world in seven days. Seven days is, is a metaphor. It could mean seven million years. It could be five billion years. And that we shouldn't take it as truth. But you have many of these people who think that, you know, the world was created 4,000 years ago and that the dinosaur fossils were put here as, you know, by Satan to confound us. How you can take that person and show him scientific evidence of global warming, which he doesn't want to believe because the big funders, the oil industry and the coal industry and Massey Coal, um, how you can convince him of something he doesn't want to be convinced about is a daunting task. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. In December of 2009, a daytime Fox News program reported on a climate change conference in Copenhagen. UN scientists issuing a new report today saying this decade is on track to be the warmest on record. 2009 was a cooler than average year in uh, the U.S. and Canada, and that is politically troubled, troubling because Americans are among the most skeptical about uh, global warming. Less than 15 minutes after the segment, Fox's Washington managing editor instructed Fox News staff to always include objections of climate skeptics when reporting on climate data. Later that night, Special Report with Brett Baer featured another report on the Copenhagen Conference. 
As climategate-fueled skeptics continue to impugn global warming science, researchers today issued new and even more dire warnings about the possible effects of a warmer planet. Fox News uh, has, has had a, wrote a memo on December 8th of 2009 it was by uh, their vice president of news, Bill Salmon. Uh, Media Matters has uh, got it leaked to them, uh, which I'm sure the Republicans will be in a rage over soon. How dare they leak? This is just like WikiLeaks trying to do journalism. Unacceptable. Well, let's get an idea of what Fox News' version of journalism is. You're looking at Bill Salmon right there. Uh, after there was a report on December 8th of 2009 uh, from their correspondent Wendell Gohler, about the United Nations World Meteorological Organization. Now, these guys are the top scientists in the world, working at the UN. They come up with a report, and it says that uh, the decade of 2000 to 2009 is, quote, on track to be the warmest on record. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a fact. You can look it up, okay? You can see, hey, is it actually warmer? Is it not? They're not making up the temperatures. They're recording the temperatures. They're reporting the temperatures. It's a it's indisputable, right? So Wendell Gohler, you know, being the young, impressionable chap that he is, I know nothing about it, goes out there and actually reports the truth for a second on Fox News. Immediately, there are consequences. Fifteen minutes later, uh, Vice President of News Bill Salmon writes this memo to the reporters. We should refrain from asserting that the planet has warmed or cooled. In any given period, without immediately, and he puts immediately it in big caps, immediately pointing out such theories are based upon data that critics have called into question. It is not our place as journalists <laughs> that's a good one as journalists. It's not our place as journalists to assert such notions as facts, especially as this debate intensifies. Meaning the guys that just gave you the facts, when you report it, don't report it as facts. Say that they have critics. You don't have to cite the critics. You don't have to cite any facts just confuse the issue. Immediately point out that, oh, there are skeptics of numbers. Some people don't believe in math. Some people don't believe in temperatures. Some people don't believe in numbers and facts. Ah! And when a goaler, who, by the way, now is the new White House correspondent for Fox News, in other words, he got a promotion, immediately did the bidding of his chief of propaganda. And on air said this after he got the memo on the same day. Uh, he uh, gave the UN findings again and said, quote, Skeptics say the record-keeping began about the time uh, a cold period was ending in the mid-1800s, and what looks like an increase may just be part of a longer cycle. So, boom, threw the skepticism in there immediately, as instructed by the Minister of Propaganda at Fox News Channel. So, ignore the facts. Just make sure you spin it the right way. And they call themselves fair and balanced. They call themselves a news channel. What a joke. How can these guys have any credibility whatsoever?
So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Oh yeah, I'm looking at the sun My darling young one Here beside you It was the most severe blizzard to hit the East Coast in four years, stranding commuters and holiday travelers inside their homes, on the road, and at airports. Our number two story tonight, Snowpocalypse 2010, continues to wreak havoc as local governments throughout the region struggle to deal with the aftermath of the storm. Newark Mayor Cory Booker began taking aid requests from homebound residents via Twitter. Here he is yesterday personally delivering diapers to a woman who couldn't make it out of, to the store. In New York, the city's famously busy streets have slowed to a near halt as snow piles have made navigating the sidewalks a daunting task. And if you think clear skies means flights are back to normal, NBC's Jeff Rawson would like to set you straight. One day of snow. A week's worth of headaches from the Northeast and beyond. We just found out our flight was canceled. We can't get out until after our return flight was supposed to get us back to New York. So they can't get us out until Friday. Some passengers have camped out here for three days. This woman just found out she'll be sleeping here again tonight. So she tried to rebook. You see? Now he's busy. Flights are finally taking off and landing, but not fast enough. In New York alone, 3,000 passengers were stuck today. And in the Northeast, about 900 flights were canceled. It's like a domino effect. Once you cancel flights in one area, planes can't get to other cities, even if the other cities are not affected by snow. Today, travelers in Orlando felt the pain. It was just a nightmare. I mean, I was talking to everybody, trying to find directions. You know, no hotels were available. And in Atlanta. When you call the airline, everyone is on the phone, so you wait for like half an hour in order to get to someone. And in Milwaukee. It was such a mess, and there were so many people in there, like, screaming and crying. Passengers on a Cathay Pacific flight sat on the tarmac at JFK for nearly eight hours. No food, no water, no bathrooms. Every time the captain updated us, which he tried to do about every hour, all he could say was, I don't have any additional information for you. Experts say it could be after New Year's before flights are back on schedule. No great shakes outside the airport either. On the streets of New York City, hundreds of buses stuck, thousands of cars buried. By now it should be clean, right? And it's not. It's still here. Oh my God. In this home video posted on YouTube. Are you out of your mind? New York City workers are towing a plow caught on camera, smashing a parked SUV in Brooklyn. What are you doing? The sanitation department tells NBC News this is are common during snowstorms mind? and the cars owner will likely be paid for the damage. 
Now, with intersections still resembling sledding hills, anger is building. Mayor Bloomberg, shame on you. Of course I'm angry. I pay taxes like everybody else. Why should we not get services? New York's mayor responded. We won't get to everybody every time. We will make mistakes. Yelling and about it and complaining doesn't help. That was NBC's Jeff Rossin reporting. If you thought the weather was bad, wait for the high-pressure system coming in from the right. With climate change deniers, it's not the heat, it's the stupidity. The New York City Fox affiliate reported last night that this week's snowstorm was the city's fifth heaviest snowfall based on inches of snow recorded in Central Park. Only one of the top five back in 1947 was not from the past 15 years. January 1996, fourth heaviest. February of this year, third heaviest. February of 2006, heaviest on record. And in our number one story tonight, you know what time it is when winter's first snowfall comes along. It's time for the right-wing global warming deniers to get their chuckle on. The Fox gang reacting to the storm, claiming right on cue that cold weather pours hot water on global warming. Our next guest will explain why snowfalls can actually get worse during global warming. But first, we wanted to explain the technical meteorological reasons that storms like this fuel global warming denial. For that report, let's go to our countdown meteorologist, Sam Cedar. Sam? Thanks, Sam. Now, this is Sunday storm right over the northeast, dropping more than two feet of snow in some regions. But then we got a high pressure system coming in from the energy producing states, specifically lobbying pressure that emanates from companies that stand to lose money if we actually go green. This effect is known as the Koch brothers, sometimes referred to as Los Hermanos. Now, combine that with a strong front of ignorance sweeping up from down south. And keep in mind, on their best day, you're looking at 60-65% stupidity levels down there. And that gives you a strong chance of thunder and prevarication. And it just sits right on top here and hangs there. And of course, you get that current of blustery hot air out of just one radio studio in Palm Beach, Florida. And that gust actually controls an entire stream of Republican lawmakers leading all the way up to Washington, D.C. and creating an entire system spinning counterfactwise. Keep in mind, with the chilling factor on the mainstream media, it's going to feel several degrees stupider than it already is. So please, folks, bundle up. Back to you, Sam. Countdown meteorologist Sam Cedar, thanks for that report, Sam. Zone on the Onion News Network. 
I'm Brooke Alvarez. We're continuing the Onion News Network's coverage of the major snowstorm still pounding the Midwest this hour. And according to reports from the National Weather Service, the storm has been causing major problems for the nation's idiots. The latest estimates show 18 idiots in the region have already been afflicted with frostbite after accidentally locking themselves outside in their underwear. And another 12 have been severely injured when they jumped off their roofs into what they thought were deep snowdrifts. I was going to, like, grab onto the back of my buddy's truck and just, like, slide along behind it as he drove. It didn't work. It hurt real bad. It was too cold to scrape off the windshield, and I really wanted a super slush. I don't know what else I was supposed to do. And we'd like to urge any of our viewers who are huge idiots themselves to please have someone who knows how to work a computer help you go to the Onion News Network website, where we've posted several winter weather safety tips to help dumbasses like you survive the snowstorm. Here you go. And we begin tonight with Snowmageddon, of course, the snowpocalypse, the big breaking news headline that it snowed in December in the Northeast. Shocking, yes, but it happened, as you've no doubt seen on every network, every hour for the past three days, because when it happens in New York, everybody, it happens to all of you through the great glory of television. This mother of, mother of all blizzards, like mothers of blizzards past, has generally elicited three different responses. Now, if you live along the East Coast in one of the affected areas, you feel panic and, of course, hostility for airlines and mayors and governors and snowplow drivers. How dare any of you do anything that you did? If you live anywhere else in the country, you probably feel like yawning, because who cares? But if you are someone who doesn't believe in global warming, who thinks the idea of climate change is the invention of some attention-starved scientists and Al Gore trying to fool everyone for some unknown but probably evil purpose, you probably felt vindication. Sweet, sweet, snow-covered vindication. For some people, extreme snowstorms like we saw this week, just more proof that global warming is a fraud. You're looking at video of an extremely snowy Britain from this week. So much for global warming. It's the coldest December in the UK since 1772. It feels like there's a lot of evidence out there to completely debunk the whole global warming theory. The East Coast blanketed with snow, businesses and travel virtually shut down. So where are all the global warming alarmists now? So once again, for the record, everybody, if it's cold anywhere, anytime, no matter what season it is, climate change is a hoax. Since, you know, global warming means it's supposed to be warm all the time now. Except that the phenomenon described by scientists, remember scientists, the thing they describe as climate change actually means things like extreme weather events like huge blizzards on the East Coast in the winter. Now the semi-annual dust-up between climate change believers and the it-feels-pretty-cold-to-me crowd would be just a dust-up again this go-round, except that this go-round about climate change coincides with Congress change. Next Wednesday, seven days from right now, the new Republican-controlled House of Representatives will officially take over in Washington. 
along with all sorts of new members of Congress being sworn in, one other really important thing will happen. All of the committees in the House switch from Democratic control to Republican control. And in the case of climate change, here's the one that matters to you. The House Energy and Commerce Committee will now be headed up by this gentleman, Congressman Fred Upton of Michigan. If climate change legislation is going to happen in the Congress, it will have to go through Fred Upton's Energy Committee. And where does he stand on climate change? Well, Congressman Upton has just penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal in which he rails against the Obama administration's attempt to enforce climate rules. Specifically, he rails against the Environmental Protection Agency's attempt to enforce climate rules. Quote, we have significant doubt that EPA regulations can survive judicial scrutiny. This presumes that carbon is a problem in need of regulation. We are not convinced. Cuts in carbon emissions would mean significantly higher electricity prices. We think the American consumer would prefer not to be skinned by Obama's EPA. Now, who is this mysterious we that Congressman Upton keeps referring to here? Well, that would be Mr. Upton and the person with whom he co-wrote this op-ed. See, there's the byline by Fred Upton and Tim Phillips. Tim Phillips, Tim Phillips. Where do we get Tim Phillips? Well, if you're a regular viewer of this TV show, and God knows we hope you are, then the name Tim Phillips is probably ringing a few bells in the back of your head just right now. A longtime Republican political operative named Tim Phillips, a man named Tim Phillips. Timothy Phillips. Tim Phillips, president of the group Americans for Prosperity. Ah, Tim Phillips, that Tim Phillips, whose name has been invoked repeatedly on this show over the past two years. He is the head of a group you may have heard of called Americans for Prosperity. And among other things, Americans for Prosperity flies big, red, hot air balloons across the country as part of what they call their hot air tour. Because, you know, global warming is just a bunch of hot air. Get it? Conveniently, this group, which campaigns against climate regulations, was founded by a man named David Koch. And Coke Industries just happens to be one of the largest oil and chemical companies on God's green earth. Now, why is it notable that Fred Upton has written a climate change denying op-ed with the head of the Global Warming is Just a Bunch of Hot Air group? Well, Fred Upton used to sort of believe there was climate change and that there was some culpability for it among us human beings. Back in the late 1990s, he supported immediate reductions in greenhouse gases. In 2007, he signed on to an energy bill that called for an overall reduction of carbon dioxide emissions. And then, right around that time, Fred Upton started getting gobs and gobs of campaign cash from oil companies, including Coke Industries. In 2008, Coke Industries was his fifth largest campaign contributor. And in 2010, Coke Industries came in at number nine, dumping $20,000 American into Fred Upton's campaign war chest. Now, that could be coincidence, but now, instead of voting for legislation that aims to regulate carbon emissions, Mr. Upton is writing op-eds with a lobbyist hip deep in oil money in which they, meaning he, says he's not convinced that carbon is a problem in need of regulation. Now, that's one week from today, everybody. That's your new head of the House Energy Committee. So, let it snow.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% to of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Do you right. think 30 years from now, people that love Glenn Beck and Fox News are going to be walking around, tiptoeing through a foot of water because global warming has melted every ice cap, and there are no jobs to be had except for fighting in the military in intractable war, and they're going to think to themselves, maybe even though he had a pen and seemed like he was connected to facts, Sean Hannity wasn't maybe an, a, a journalist. Maybe. <laughs> That's, I've always said Too that. Much that to we, need, we need to tag some of these people. Like, if you deny global warming... We need to be able to put a chip in you somewhere just so that when, when the ice caps do melt... And there's only a limited amount of dry land, you don't get to go to dry exactly. land. Okay, so I don't know if you You're guys a paddler. know this, but there's been a lot of crazy weather lately. In fact, just in the last <laughs> week, there's been a lot... That's why there's going to be no moron segment this week, because morons trapped in London. What? That's yeah. true story. Is it? True story. I heard that they wouldn't let him on the plane with his gluggle jug. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I listen to those. <laughs> yes, they would let him on because of his gluggle jug. And uh, so it's been, so I was watching Fox because it's been snowing again. Whenever it snows, uh, it's time for science denying. Yeah. Philadelphia live on the left side, on the right, live right outside our studios, the Fox Studios, or Your World Studios. Uh, that's Al Gore's book, Inconvenient Truth and Inconvenient Truth, uh, getting piled on by more and more snowfall. I guess the East Coast uh, just relentless with snow coming. And uh, I, I'm not sure what chapter. Mr. Gore dealt with record snowfalls across the whole eastern seaboard. Yeah, I know you don't know which chapter because you didn't read the book, you moron. That's why. <laughs> That's why you would take the book and stick it in a snowbank during a snowstorm and pretend global warming doesn't happen. Here's, here's Sean Hannity. Friend Sean of the Hannity, show. You know, I think, I think friend they, of the show. Yeah, I just think they put his book in the snow because it was too cold to get a fire going. <laughs> That's right. Well, here's, the, here's, here's Sean Hannity. Uh, he's going to read directly. For, he's going to read directly what scientists say about a storm like this and how it affects climate change, and then he's going to deny. Here we go. And I just looked at Mantrudge before I came down here. The New York Times tomorrow is going to claim the blizzards are from the warming. And what they're going to say uh, from the story is most client scientists respond to the ferocious storms that they're consistent with forecasts that a heating planet will produce more frequent, more intense weather events. If it rains, it's global warming's fault. If it doesn't, if it snows, it is. If it doesn't, it's, it is. If it's a volcanic eruption or an earthquake, global warming. All global warming. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. So it's like, you know, if it's... Th their slogan shouldn't be fair and balanced over there. Their slogan should be, hey, if you're too dumb to understand it, it must not be true. <laughs> Fox News. And by the way, as always, much harder to believe than an all-knowing God in the sky. <laughs> 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 
much harder to believe in global warming than it is in, oh. a, in an all-knowing God in the sky? Oh, by far and away. Nice joke, Roberts. Wow. Okay, let's uh, write that one down. It's very derivative. <laughs> and, it's very derivative. Uh, no, I like it. But <laughs> but that's what happens over. That's the kind of thing that happens over at Fox on a daily basis. If it's snowing, believe uh-huh. me, the science deniers are going to be out in full force. I'm just fantasizing about when when the the lakes are high and Sean Hannity's boat can't start and he's, <laughs> and he's hungry and i just i just motor past him hey can you give me can you, you got any extra gas with your solar engine your you know what i did motor. 30 years ago but uh, you know it'd be great if fox just cut out the middleman and just had a weatherman who was a global warming denier like why, at, why don't they do that that would be perfect mm-hmm. like rain coming down from so and so not because of global warming because of the unions New EPA greenhouse gas regulations, which means, in our third story, a whole new set of talking points for Republicans, including presidential hopefuls, trying to erase any trace of their having believed in climate change. Under new EPA standards, power plants and refineries are now expected to put in technologies to curb those greenhouse gas emissions. The soon-to-be chair of the House Energy Commission, uh, Committee, rather, Fred Upton, says blocking these new standards will be one of his priorities. Writing in a recent Wall Street Journal editorial, this presumes carbon is a problem in need of regulation. We are not convinced. Odd, considering that just two years ago, Mr. Upton seemed to be all for this regulation. Quote, Climate change is a serious problem that necessitates serious solutions. Everything must be put on the table. Just as solid for fluidity, many of the Republicans' 2012 wannabes seem to be taking a page out of the Fred Upton playbook, like Tim Pawlenty. As governor of Minnesota, Mr. Pawlenty signed his state on board a regional cap-and-trade plan. In 2008, he even went so far as to remark, I support a reasonable cap-and-trade system. I think it would be good for the federal government to take that up. Here's Tim Pawlenty just last year. Cap and trade, I think, would be a disaster. Then there's the consistently inconsistent Mike Huckabee. Just last week, he denied supporting cap and trade during the 2007 Republican primaries, perhaps blacking out on the fact that he declared that support on camera. And just how will former House Speaker Gingrich explain this statement on this couch in front of that Capitol with the only Nancy Pelosi? We do agree our country must take action to address climate change. Together we can do this. Nod and smile, nod and smile. And then there's Sister Sarah. As one half of the Republican presidential ticket in 2008, she offered this. Climate change just might be man-made, Cherry. I believe that man's activities certainly can be contributing to the issue of global warming, climate change. I am attributing some of man's activities to potentially causing some of the changes in the climate right now. Now, free from the constraints of facts, the half-governor has changed her tune. 
should create a competitive climate for investment in renewables. None of this snake oil science stuff that is based on this global warming, gore gate stuff. Science is real. I do, and for listeners, by a shoal, you're talking about like a shoal of fish, for example. A shoal of fish, that's right. It's so dynamic and it moves almost incredibly synchronously through the water, particularly when it's under threat. But if you think Copenhagen and the economic processes, the political processes, are like some massive super tanker that is hugely inert, controlled by a tiny power elite, fueled, if you like, by fossil energy and the profits from it, and is going absolutely in the opposite direction with enormous inertia and power. But those institutions are put there by human beings, little decisions from millions and millions of people over time. We construct the super tanker. And I think the time is coming to deconstruct the super tanker for each and every one of us to take personal responsibility, institutional responsibility, whatever our area of responsibility is, Maybe individual, it's a home, it's a local community, it's a small organization, and we can work together in such a way that we take on board the reality of the crisis and develop what we call a phase change in human behavior that shifts from the command and control failures to a living, learning, moving system of, of humanity responding in a crisis in short time scales and at a level that actually makes a huge difference. That, I think, is a sign of, of hope in the social process. And I think we need to be 
paying much, much more attention to that as a way forward as we face the despair of the criticality of the reality we face and the failure of our political institutions to deal with it. So there may still be the possibility of a mass shift among the people rather than in their upper institutions. We could still hope that, that like those fish or the birds that you see in the sky that suddenly know it's time to, to turn one way and head another, that could still happen for us here on Earth. I think that's probably the only realistic hope we face, Alex. Is there anything you'd like to add as we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think I could bring you um, a story. I like stories. Do you remember the, the Apollo space program? Yes. I'm sure you do, and Apollo 11 and the landing on the moon. I think half the world was glued to the television when that first small step for humanity was taken. Big one for humankind. That was Apollo 11. Do you remember Apollo 13? Two launches later? Oh, vaguely. Okay, and Tom Hanks did a reconstructed movie on this one, which other people will have seen. Apollo 13 was launched and went off very smoothly, running by the book, and then there was this catastrophic explosion in one of the oxygen tanks, and it blew off half of the, 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 the coating of the, the module and so on. And we had that laconic comment, you know, Houston, we have a problem. And Houston Command Center went into, oh, I don't think that's possible. It must be a computer glitch. And for 15 minutes, they treated it as nothing in space had happened. They were just trying to solve the computer problems back up. And then all the signals began to come in from the monitors to say, actually, we've just pretty well lost the propulsion systems, the life support systems on this module. It really is a catastrophe. Well, we've taken 15 years to not recognize that planet Earth, we have a problem. We've blown a hole in our life support system. And I think what happened on Apollo 13, if you like, is a parable for our time. They had to abort the mission, the achievements, the goals, the wishes, the, the hopes, if you like, of going around the moon and doing another moon landing and all that. And they shifted the mission, like that switch in the path of a crowd, crowd of birds or a swarm of, of bees or a shoal of fish. And they started to move in a different direction. Survival was the agenda. Close down power systems. Find ways of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere of the module. Find ways of supporting each other with the food and the water that they needed for the long return journey. Keep each other alive if they possibly could so they didn't lose anybody on the way back. Not knowing whether there was damage to the heat shield, whether they could in fact achieve a re-entry even if they got it right. Loss of correction and computer systems having to do a manual course direction just before re-entry. And they made it. Now, I think Apollo 13 is a parable for the planet. It's no longer a tiny module out in space. We are the module. Planet Earth, we have a problem. There's no Houston. There's no rescue. We are also Houston. So maybe, maybe humanity, in the spirit of response to a collective crisis, can mobilize a collective response that puts survival, not exploitation of each other, to protect our own personal interests or national interests or group interests and let the weak go to the wall, but a collective survival movement that solves the problem in the time frame we have. I offer you Apollo 13 as a parable for tomorrow's world.
Hi, this is Nick from California, and I just wanted to call in to um, sort of uh, compliment the left and the media on the left uh, for talking about uh, issues and not just uh, being completely one-sided. I was just listening to your WikiLeaks uh, show, and at the end of the show, Rachel Maddow sort of uh, criticizes uh, the WikiLeaks position, sort of pointing out that at very least it's thorny, that there are reasons why maybe we don't want to leak everything. And although the message of the show was clear that this sort of information is needed and we need a reformation in journalism, uh, there were these uh, opposite sides of the coin that were mentioned. And I think if there are two intelligent sides to the debate, I think that they should be both mentioned, um, uh, which I don't ever hear from the Republican side. I don't ever hear from the right. Uh, I just see them towing the party line. Maybe that's because I'm not listening to the right people, but I don't think that's the case. I think that there is a difference between Fox News and CSNB, uh, MSNBC, and that is the left is uh, better at uh, saying both sides to that. And I just wanted to compliment your show for doing that. I like hearing it. Um, again, I don't think that there's any reason to talking about the evolution. There's no reason to have on a biologist and a creationist. Um, they're not equal sides. Um, but if you do have equal sides with both intelligent points, then I think that that's uh, a good thing to do, and I just want to compliment you on your work. Thanks a lot. Hi, my name is Tony Escobar. I'm from Los Angeles. just wanted to tell you I'm very grateful for what you're doing. If I had the time, and if I could do the same things, I would. And I just wanted to tell you thank you very much. Take care. Hi, this is Elan from British Columbia, Canada. I'm calling to leave a response to um, Rachel Maddow's uh, remarks about WikiLeaks. It was, what, it was the most disturbing thing I've ever heard Rachel Maddow present or do. I have to say that for somebody as intelligent and engaged as Rachel Maddow to distill WikiLeaks down to one cable that uh, that's wrong, not to say that there aren't other cables that are wrong, but to just highlight this one cable and then to blame Julian Assange and WikiLeaks for the fact that some media organizations did not look into it and, and verify it and just published it as fact. That was so disappointing and disturbing. And then also uh, saying that Julian Assange was, uh, is accused of date rape. He actually hasn't yet been officially accused of anything. And the girls that he was involved, the women that he was involved with, uh, both tweeted and wrote Facebook messages uh, bragging about sleeping with him after sleeping with him. I am totally in, in favor of women's rights and of taking seriously and investigating every complaint or possible complaint of sexual violence or any other violence against women or any other people, but especially against women due to the horrible history and present state of violence against women. Uh, but in this case, like as Naomi Wolf, uh, known feminist and other, femini and other feminist organizations and groups and individuals have said, there's a lot that's very suspect about, about this issue. And for Interpol to post a red flag warrant about somebody who hasn't even yet been accused of anything officially is very irregular. So I think that Rachel Maddow just like, that was super disturbing. If I was somebody who was into conspiracy theories, I would think that General Electric, uh, who I believe own MSNBC, are telling uh, Rachel Maddow to try and uh, tone down the whole progressive uh, standing behind WikiLeaks. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, anyway, those are my two cents. Thanks a lot for the show. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And I was going to do this anyways, but especially in honor of the topic of the day, I'm going to continue talking about a couple of the new campaigns that I've jumped on board with. Uh, First, the one I'm just referring to as the Progressive Slate Campaign. This is where 10 progressive groups whose, uh, you know, organizations and mission statements you almost certainly agree wholeheartedly with have uh, kind of banded together to to form the progressive slate in an attempt to uh, siphon away some of Pepsi's money from them because uh, Pepsi's doing a big, uh, you know, it's a promotional deal for them, but they're giving away real money to real organizations who could really use it. And so I'm taking the opportunity to encourage you to uh, not to drink Pepsi, but go help progressive organizations get their money anyways. So what you can do is I've created a, a really simple link that you can go to. It's bit.ly. For those not in the know, it's bit.ly, like that's an actual website, bit.ly slash progressive slate. And that'll take you right to where you need to go. The uh, the website that the progressive slate have come together to form to uh, create a, a really simple way for you to sign up and vote for all 10 of these organizations in an attempt for them to win serious cash uh, from this uh kind of competition that Pepsi has going on. So uh, so that is number one. Go to uh, bit.ly slash progressive slate. And then also one of the members of that slate is the Energy Action Coalition, f- personal friends of mine who I worked with in Washington, D.C. Uh, on climate issues. Uh, every couple of years, they've been putting together gigantic, awesome conferences called Power Shift. And uh, 2011 in April is their next Power Shift. They're organizing for it now. Uh, It's happening uh, April 1st through the 4th. It's so big, they're planning to have it at RFK Stadium in Washington. And so uh, I'm promoting it. I'm planning on going to it and certainly encourage you guys to go to it yourself, get involved any way you want. The place to get all the information on that is at PowerShift2011, PowerShift2011.org. So uh, check that out. It, you, If you're in the neighborhood, if you want to get plugged into something, uh, this is something I wholeheartedly encourage you to get involved in. And uh, and I can say from past experience, if you uh, it, whether you attend, whether you help organize, whether you uh, you know whatever you do, you will be proud that you were a part of it when all is said and done. That's what I have to say about that. So finally today, I'm just going to thank a couple of members who help out the show enormously, and it so happens as I was going down my list of members today, I came across a couple of real doozies. Uh, First, Chris Lukowski uh, stuck out to me. Of course, Lukowski being the namesake of the Lukowski scale that we go by now here uh, with the membership levels. Uh, So Chris signed up as a socialist on the Lukowski scale and signed up on October 18th. Huge thanks to Chris for, uh, for all his support. And Todd D signed up on November 8th also as a socialist, but I pulled him out of the stack because he's a volunteer for the show. And so his name stuck out to me and Todd's been doing awesome work uh, behind the scenes, helping gather clips. So that's uh, appreciated enormously. So huge thanks to Chris and Todd for their memberships and everything else they do for the show. Of course, I appreciate every single member, regardless of your level. You know, I'm just doing this for fun. But if you're a member uh, anywhere from a leftist to a socialist, communist, uh, Satanist, 
or George Soros, which no one is, but uh, if you're a member at any level, seriously, you guys are what make this show possible in its current form. All the individual one-time donors, of course, also help, and everyone, everyone just for being out there, just for listening, and uh, going out and telling your friends every once in a while, uh, hey, you should check out this show. Uh, it all comes together to make the show possible, so huge thanks to everyone. You can follow the show between episodes, of course, by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details about the show, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. But a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning